When I think of church, uh, or I think of how church should be, um, I think of a family. And if, I don't know if you know this, but oftentimes in the early church, they referred to each other as brother and sister. That's just how they thought of each other. And, you know, now either, you know, that's weird because maybe you come from a church where no one calls each other by their real name. It's just brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. And it, it kind of took on a weird form um, or it takes on a very beautiful form. But the thing that think about is that was radical in its day because in the day when Christ came and when Paul taught, they had very distinct um, divisions. So you wouldn't just come in here and sit where you want. You would, we, we would know what your status is and based on your status, you would get a certain seat. Now, like, we kind of expect that if you go down to the Lions game um, and you're on corporate seats, how many know you might, you, might be, you might be getting some chicken wings with your, yeah, all right? Uh, and you, you might get a little better view or you might have special seating and you might have food delivered to you. We sort of know that in sports culture. But in those days, if you were a certain stature, you just got better seat. You got better privileges. And so the idea that people would come together and leave all of that stuff at the door was very radical. That when we come in here, we're all the same. We're all equal. I'm not more important than you. You're not more important than me. You're not better than this person because of how much money you have or who your family is or anything, that we're all equal. And Paul writes this, this revolutionary statement in Galatians where he says, in, in Christ there isn't male or female. It doesn't exist. Categories don't exist. Slave or free doesn't exist. Jew and Gentile doesn't exist. Now, we're very keen, we're very common to label people, right? And what, what, really what it did is when people came into the fellowship, they came into the family, all, their label fell away. And so get it. If you were used to people kind of bowing down to you and kind of getting out of your way uh, and the rest of society, you, you were assimilated, you were treated like everyone else. And if you were used to getting looked down on or being second-class citizen, you got elevated, and this was a radical idea. And it was just, that let's just be a family. And when this happened, it, it upended the value system. So last week when I was talking about, it says they turned the world upside down. What they did is they turned the value system around. The value started to become an individual person had value. And it didn't matter what their label was. The other day, um, I had to fill out some forms for the government to get my driver's license renewed. And the, on the form, they wanted to know, what am I? And I had, I think there were four options. And, it, and I never thought, when I was young, I never thought about it. I just checked the white box, you know. But I looked at them, and it just seemed so limiting to me. I just had this moment where I just stopped there. And I just go, that's it? 
that's all I am is white. I can't get anything else. Now, think for a minute. Who here, who here has taken the uh, like 23andMe or one of these DNA tests? Just put your hand up. I'm just curious. Okay, so let's say maybe 5% of us, all right, have taken um, This is what everyone that I've talked, I, I need to take it, but everyone that I've talked to has told me this, some version of this. I'm different than I thought I was. In other words, my family told me we were this, and I always believed we were this because I, all I could go on was what my family said, but now my DNA says I'm 1% this, I'm 3% this. And the more they get it figured out, the, here's the thing that we realize, none of us are really anything. <laughs> or all of us are a bunch of something. May I say it differently? None of us are pure. <laughs> this is important to think about. Because when you're young, you're growing up, we're, we're, we're easier with categories like this is what these people are, this is what these people are, we're Jewish, we're Catholic, we're Irish, we're this. And everybody had some kind of a clear category. And what the early church did, can I just say this, the reason that it turned the whole Roman Empire upside down was because of what we call here radical inclusivity. They were radically inclusive. And you couldn't find that anywhere else. You couldn't just go to a place and just be welcomed as family. But this was a place where slaves could come in and have the same stature. This was radical. And so women could come in. Now, let me, let's be very honest about a few things. It didn't just happen. They didn't just snap their fingers and everybody went, okay, everybody's the same. That's really not how us humans work. Think, even when God's Spirit's working in us, we're a little messy. We're slow on the uptake. Um, may I? Okay. Um, Acts chapter 10 Peter, really slow on the uptake, but he has this vision, and I'm going to read a little bit from Acts chapter 10. It says, about noon, um, they're on their way, approaching the city. Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something eat, to eat. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. So last week, we talked a lot about having vision and we're going to continue this theme a little bit. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. You got the vision? This big sheet of some sort lowering down. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Now, how many know dreams are weird? Anybody have weird dreams? You're just trying to make some? Okay. So, I don't know. I'm just... I'm just reading it to you. Then the voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's reply, surely not. Or another translation says, never, never. A voice spoke to him a second time. Now there's a second time he gets this voice. 
do not call anything impure that God has made clean. The ways the systems worked is these people are out because they're impure. Impure. Remember what I just got done saying? None of us are pure. But what we like to think is we like to think we're pure or our group is pure or we're, and others are not. And he says, God has made them clean. So don't call them impure. This happened three times. And then immediately it was taken, you know, how these dreams are. They just, it's, it's gone. Peter is wondering about the meaning of the vision. Anybody wake up in the morning and try to sort it all out, that dream? What the world was that about? So he's sitting there, he's wondering, and he says, there were men sent from a man named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius is, a, is an Italian, um, he's a Gentile, and he sends some guys, and they find out where Simon's house was, and they call up asking if Peter was there. Peter's still thinking about this vision. There's people downstairs asking for him. And someone, uh, then he hears the Spirit say, Simon, three men are looking for you. Go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So this guy named Cornelius has sent them, but in his vision, he kind of hears the sense of this voice that God saying, I sent them. How many of you know sometimes... God's behind the other things that are happening in your life, right? Cornelius sent them, but God says, I sent them. Are you getting it? There are things that come across your path that you think, oh, this was sent to here by General Motors, but it was sent by God. Some things that you like, maybe, maybe at the time, some things you didn't like. Hang in there. At the time, how many know this? Sometimes the things that come into our life that we don't understand are actually good later on. This is important. They're later on, we go, oh, that was actually good. I didn't see it was good. It was scary. It was unknown. So he gets this message that this is from God. And Peter went down and he just says, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And it says, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. And uh, he's respected among the Jewish people, a God-fearing man. And Peter, um, then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Big, state, big sentence there. He brings these people into his house. This is something you didn't do in that day if you were Jewish. One of the things that they did to keep people separate is you didn't go into a Gentile's house and you didn't invite a Gentile into your house. You know what happens when you get to, when you get to know people that you're supposed to hate? Do you know what happens when people that we're supposed to be afraid of live next door to us? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you grew up in a small town somewhere and everyone looked exactly like you. And that's all you saw were people that looked like you and went to the same kind of church that you did. And then let's say you moved to a cosmopolitan city of some sort. And all of a sudden, you met somebody that you all your life were told, I'm supposed to not like these kinds of people. I'm supposed to not, I'm supposed to be scared of them. They're supposed to be bad. 
And then you got to know them and you realize, wait a minute, these people are just like us. In fact, this person's nicer than a lot of people that go to my church. All of a sudden, this is what's important. It's the proximity, it's the coming together where the wall starts to come down. But most of us, this is important, and this is natural, start with never. Never. I'll never like those people. I'll never accept those people. I'll never welcome those people. I was told, I was warned. I was, and you were brought up, you were groomed. This is how Peter was groomed. And he started with never. I'll never accept that. I'll never welcome that. But that's how most of us start. So what I wanted to do today to talk about Orchard Grove is I wanted to talk about what I call the ABCs. And I've done this before. It's been a while. And so if it's, if it's a refresher, good. If it's a reminder, good. If it's brand new for some of you, even better. But I couldn't talk about the vision of our church without talking about these things. I just simply call them the ABCs. Because what I learned is people always want in a nutshell, what's your church like? And when we started the church 20 years ago, people said, what kind of church is it? And I didn't have a good answer. I didn't know what to say. I literally go, ah, uh, and the best I could, it was kind of lame, the best I could come up with was non-denominational. Because at least people understood it wasn't marked by one particular thing. And some people liked that. It was like, oh, that means I could come? And I was like, yeah, you could come. And some people, they're like, yeah, but I want to corner you. You need to be a certain thing. So I called the ABCs. A, accept everyone. Acceptance. Accept everyone. Let's just practice. One, two, three. Accept everyone. We just accept people. We accept people. We accept Catholics. We accept Presbyterians. We accept Baptists. We accept Jewish people. We accept Gentiles. We accept everybody. We welcome people. We if you're black, if you're white, if you're checkered past, if you're stellar past, if you're young, if you're old, right? If you're gay, if you're straight, if you're whatever, rich, if you're poor, it doesn't matter. We accept everyone. Let's practice together. One, two, three. Accept what? Everyone. This is so important because we're family. And what we wanted to do was have a family where everyone was accepted, not judged, but accepted, welcomed. Now, um, I learned, I learned later on that people use that language a lot. Say, well, people always say that at churches. But then you get to a certain point and you're not accepted, you're just allowed. All right? So let me make a distinction here. When I accept, I mean fully accept. Allowed. Welcomed. Can I take it one step further? Acceptance is not tolerating our diversity. Acceptance to me is celebrating our diversity. Celebrating it. Isn't it good that we aren't all just alike? Isn't it good that people come and they bring something, they make your life a little more uh, beautiful because there's different kinds of people. Last week I told you a story about Charlie into the arms of this beautiful um, Chinese lady who took her into her lap on the boat ride home. 
and I ran out of time. I didn't get to tell you. We got on the, after the boat ride, we got on an airplane. And uh, I'm already not looking forward to four hours layover, nine hours on an airplane. Is anybody with me? Who's grumpy right now? Just thinking about that. I mean, I'm, I'm, you're grumpy right now. It's th now you think about, okay, we got a baby on board. We got to really be careful. And, you, you know, people tell you, you know, someone told me when we first started traveling with Charlie, take, take uh, goodie bags, pass out candy bars to everyone around you because, you know, crying babies make everybody mad. So just, just you know, diffuse the situation before you even get there. And I was out of candy bars and I'm just praying for grace, but she did good. The first four hour flight, the layover, oh, it was a struggle. And then we got on the next one. And how many know, three hours into the second flight, I'm pretty crabby myself. And she's getting fussy. And she just needs to do different things. She's just bored. And so she has this new thing that she does where she coughs. And she coughs to get attention, not because she has, but she goes, ah, ah, and she just looks around to see if anyone thinks it's funny or cute. And if she gets any takers, then she's really happy. So she starts her little thing, you know. And mom and dad are very entertained. Well, oh, that's cute. Ah, we're giving it all we got. But she's kind of bored with us. <laughs> Has anybody been there? So this guy over my left shoulder, I couldn't see, starts coughing back at her, right? <laughs> coughing back at her. And then she coughs, and then she smiles, and he coughs. And, the, and I, I turn around to speak to him, and I realize he too doesn't speak any English. <laughs> and he coughed with Charlie, their own little language of coughing, back and forth, literally for an hour. And... Um, as the plane ride went on, every once in a while she'd get bored, she'd look for him. She has this thing that she does. If she can't see, like, around the seat, she goes. <laughs> and she would look for him. Turns out he's from the Middle East. All the places we're supposed to be scared of. Doesn't speak any English. So there's a guy next to him that spoke his language, and I asked him, where is he from? And he said, he's Lebanese. And how many know by the end of the flight, just like the Chinese lady, the Lebanese grandpa is holding Charlie. Now, this is important because it's my vision. I think, I think it's Christ's vision. But when I said it's personal, it's, this, is, this is the new world. This is the new covenant. This is the new thing that there's nothing to be afraid of. And here's Charlie, right, in the arms of this Lebanese guy who can't speak a lick of English. All, all they could do to communicate was cough. And somehow, what? This bond is there. You know what we need to figure out? Some kind of baby language again. Where we, with other human beings can connect. And where we can see way past the language barriers, the culture barriers, the dress, the, the skin tone, all of that, and see the brotherhood and the humanity. Can I finish the story? We were in Turkey. Charlie's picked Literally, she's picked up by everybody. They just pick you up. 
They don't ask, they just pick you up. I couldn't count the number of nationalities and languages that Charlie learned. But we're in Turkey, and then there's this lady that shows up on our, on our bus, and I didn't know who she was, and she was really nice, and she was friendly to Charlie, and all of a sudden we were inside, and she's got this, all of a sudden this lady's got Charlie, and they're laughing, and um, they were together for an hour while we went shopping, right? And I was like, Vicki, where's Charlie? Because well, she's with that one lady. <laughs> Go back there. True story. She's cracking up. This lady's cracking up. I, I finally, I said, who, I, I just, who are you, right? Because there's all these people coming and going. She's on her bus. She goes, well, I'm a part of the tour, the land part, but um, I'm from Brazil. I said, obrigado, if you know Portuguese. And she was impressed with my one word I remember in Portuguese. And uh, so she starts with Charlie for an hour. So here's Charlie in Turkey with a Portuguese, you know, listening to Portuguese, right? On the other side of the world, and this is what I'm saying, all the walls, what kind of a world could it be? What kind of a world could it be if we let the dividing walls and labels fall away and we saw each other as brother or what? Sister. Brother or sister. Now, I'm not saying your brothers and sisters never make you mad. Huh? My brother just got in town from Florida. He made me mad in five minutes. Five minutes. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm kidding. He didn't actually. But is this right? But the reality is at the end of the day, this is who we are. So Orchard Grove has to be a family. And to be a family, you have to accept one another. The B, the B stands for believe. Believe. It's loaded with the idea of belief. And if anything, as a family, we have to believe. Let's say it together. One, two, three, ready? Believe. Believe what? Well, this is what's important. Belief is this idea that God is, ready, with us and for us and in us. With us and for us and where? In us. With us and for us and in us. Let's say it together. Ready? God is with us and for us and in us. That God's with us. That he's here. That he's on your side. Now, this is not on your side versus against the other team. You know, the, honestly, the only people I can think that God is against is Ohio State. I mean, outside of that. <laughs> honestly, honest to God. I, outside of that, I can't think of anybody. But with us. Ready? <laughs> It's football season. What can I say? Right? Let's do it together. Ready? With us, for us, and in us. Now, this is important. And this is why I think a church should be a positive place. Positive place. Not a negative place. We shouldn't be known for all the things that we're against and how negative we are. About. This is what I believe. God is taking us somewhere good. Everybody has bumps in your life. Everyone's have bruises in your life. Everyone's have challenges. Our world has challenges. But listen, you get to fundamentally choose what you believe the big story is. The big story. I'm not talking about the story of the week or the story of the day. What I have to challenge you very hard to find something negative going on in our world. 
No, I wouldn't have to challenge. It wouldn't be hard. Is it just thrown at you from the minute you get up? It's not hard to find something negative. It's not hard to find a negative story about a negative person. But what we can't get, listen, please, what we can't get lured into is that it's all going to hell. And this is the common narrative. Rather, what we need to see, I, I don't have time. I don't have time to tell you the big story of Scripture. But people buy into the micro story. They get one little slice, right? You ever, you ever go to a movie, some guy comes in like halfway through and starts asking a bunch of dumb questions? <laughs> Sit next to his wife and, hey, rah, rah, rah. bro, just get here on time. Watch the whole thing. Anybody with me? Now, this is, this, is what ha- this is what happens to a lot of Christians. They get halfway through the Bible, start saying a bunch of dumb things. God's honest truth. They, they're an expert. They start quoting things completely out of context, completely pulling a verse. Look, you can pull a Bible verse out and, and, and back up anything you want to believe. Out of context, isolate the verse, and you can, you can start any worldview that you want to start. Let's say there's a movie about a dad who has a son, and the dad was abused, so he was abusive to his son, and he hits his son with a frying pan. And his kid grows up, and he's scared of his dad, and he's scared of frying pans. And you miss the whole first part of the movie, and later in the movie, you see a kid with the, now become an adult, but you see this young adult with a frying pan making eggs for his son. And they focus on the frying pan. Well, if you didn't see the first part of the movie, you'd just go, well, so what? He's making eggs for his son. Hello? You'd go, what's so great about that, Dad? Is this right? But if you didn't see him getting hit with that frying pan, is this, that's a bad example. This is terrible. But I can teach, no, forget about it. That's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll get a better one next service. But listen, uh, if you gave me time, I could teach you how to understand the scriptures. But understanding them isolated, pulling one verse out to prove your little point is not the story. It's the story of how they were all waking up. Listen, they were all slowly waking up to what God is really like. And they believed that God was this angry, vengeful thing. So they had all this language about God being this angry, vengeful being. But that's what they believed. But they had to put that what? Behind them. And they had to wake up. And they started to realize that God didn't live in buildings. And God wasn't like this. And, God was, and, it's, and as you get, as the story unfolds, you realize that God is spirit. God is love. These were radical statements. Jesus and John 4, God is spirit. First John, God is love. These are more esoteric, aren't they? And they're more inclusive. And they were waking up to that fact. But if you only came in halfway through the movie, you don't understand how all this stuff unfolded. I'll do a class on it. None of you will come, but I'll do a class on it. For four of you. Belief is going somewhere good. If you do want a good scripture that maybe does a, a good summarizing way, it says all things work together for what? Good, Romans 8. They work together for good. We don't understand all the different parts and pieces, but somehow when they get put together, they're good. 
Who was here the Sunday, speaking of 20 years of review, who was here the Sunday I ate a raw egg on stage? Who was here? Three of you? Wow. I guess things have changed. Uh, well, the reason I ate a raw egg was to make a point, which I got thoroughly reprimanded by some of you in the health industry, um, was to make a point. We all eat raw eggs, but we just eat them after they've been mixed with other things and then cooked. Trick question. We all eat raw eggs, but they've been mixed with other things and then cooked. What am I saying? You, everybody, anybody ever get a raw deal in life? Tasted like a raw egg? You want to know how they taste? If you've never had one, they're, just, they're slimy. They're just slimy. That's how they taste. And you had, a, you had an experience in life, and it's, it's a raw deal. It's terrible. It's, like, it's gagging. But look, over time, and when it's mixed with other things, it can be what? Good. The thi- listen, the things in your life that you don't understand, it's still God's working for good. God's at work for your good. So hang in there. Be patient and let God mix them up. Hmm? How many know that bad email that you got needs to be mixed in with some other information? It needs to be mixed in with this and mixed in with that. And over time, all of a sudden, God has a way of making a chocolate chip cookie. C, continue to grow. Continue. Here's our, here's our strong belief. We're all a work in progress. Everybody here is a work in progress. Everybody. The other day, I took a picture in Charlie's closet of all of her clothes because we got all these clothes and they're in different ages, right? So there's three months and then six months and then we got nine months, and then we got 12 months, and then you got 18 months, and they're just indifferent, right? So they're organized by age, and uh, evidently, we expect her to grow. I mean, evidently, you just expect it to happen, but this is an important idea. The same thing should be true of us. We should expect to grow, and to grow we should change. Grow, not like physically for most of us anymore, but most of us to grow is to change spiritually, mentally, emotionally. That you're not the same kind of person that you used to be. Please, please listen. Wouldn't it be good if what we were known for was not that we're always the same, but that over time, Man, she's really become a more loving person. Over time, you know what? He's become so much more compassionate. How many grumpy old men do we got here? Go ahead. Just there you go. All right. Good to see you, sir. All right. <laughs> they say that's the first step. They got, you put your hand up. That's the first step, they say. All right. Now, look. Just, let's talk for a minute. Is that the plan? I mean, did you just packed it in and say, you know, well, my dad was grumpy, so what the heck? I mean, is that the plan? But I'm not comfortable with, you know, like soften. I didn't ask you what you're comfortable with. I just said, is that the plan? I mean, the idea is that over time, think, over time, somehow, somehow, God's spirit just works his way into your heart and that heart of stone as the prophets talked about becomes a heart of flesh 
I'm not saying overnight you're going to turn into Oprah Winfrey, sir. But you know what? Wouldn't it be good for your family? Wouldn't it be good for you if your heart was a little softer than it is right now? Listen, but if it's going to be softer, it's got to be more vulnerable. You're going to have to be wrong once in a while. I mean, just call it a rare day, right? <laughs> Honestly, you know what a lot of men suffer from? Who watched Happy Days growing up? Remember the Fonz? Remember Fonz could never say you're sorry? Whoa, hey. <laughs> Honest to God, it's like, it's just hard. It's just this callus that gets built. And I think, oh, I'm out of time. All right, let me go to the D. Ready? Let me land this. D, do good in our world. Do good. What are we trying to do? Why are we growing? This is so important. It goes somewhere. We're accepting, we're believing, we're continuing to grow because we want to do good in our world. We want to do good in our world. That's what it's all about. All the other stuff doesn't matter if it doesn't translate into action, into doing. Do good in your world. Do good in your home. Do good in your neighborhood. Do good in your community. Do good in your world. And I'll just summarize it in two, two ways. I call it spontaneous good. Isn't it great? I told you these stories about Charlie's people spontaneously. Just There's a need. I'll jump in there. Let me, let me, let me grab that baby. Let me squeeze those cheeks. Right? Let me get in there. And th this happens all the time. It's so good. You just see someone in need and you jump in there spontaneously and you take advantage. You, you, get, you get in the situation. The other is what I call systematic. Systematic. You know, sometimes there are things that you can do that you, you can go and you can help someone across the street. You can fill their car with gas. You can help them change their tire. You see someone. But, you know, there are things that are deeper. They're rooted deeper. And we also need to get involved in that. You know, where there's, if there's oppression, you got to get involved in that. You can't let classes of people be shut down and shoved down, both of which are important. To do good in our world, ready? It, what it does is it plants a seed everywhere that you go. So let me close with this. If, if Charlie gets a Chinese lady that plays with her for an hour on the boat and a Portuguese lady that plays with her for an hour on a bus and a Lebanese grandpa who holds her for... Every one of those is a seed that's planted in her heart. Think about this. And what's her view? She's going to want to do what? Do good. When, when Orchard Grove started 20 years ago, there was a movie that came out called Pay It Forward. Pay It Forward. The idea was, this, I don't remember the whole story, but it was like somebody did a good deed and it was like, no, don't pay me back. Just what? Pay it forward. Pay it forward. I think that's the idea. Wherever someone has done a good deed, just pay it forward. Give it to the next person. I think too much of church that I saw was it was like we're always trying to pay God back. 
And I, it, it came from the pulpit. It was in the songs that we sang. It was like, we got to give God back stuff. Can I just tell you, over and over and over again, God doesn't need anything set. But what does God want? Us not to pay him back, but he wants us to what? Pay it forward. It's loaded. Scripture's loaded. He's got a cattle on a thousand hills. There's nothing that he needs. Romans chapter 12. It's on and on and on. God doesn't need anything. He's not fed by human hands. There's nothing that God needs from us. But I think if there's anything that God wants from us is not to pay him back, but to pay it forward. When you see somebody in our world, they, ready, are a child of God. And so what you're doing is you're, when you're doing good to them, you're paying it forward, which is why, look, closer, Matthew 25, which is why Jesus said, when you do it for the least of these, you've done it to who? Me. Jesus said, when you do good in the world, when you pick up somebody that's down, when you do it for the least of these, you're doing it to me. Is it good that we honor God and sing? It's all good. It's all good. But we're not doing it because we, God needs it. It's like people talk, they actually teach this. It's like, oh, finally God's okay. Oh, good. I got my ego full. I can go the rest of the week. We don't need to give God anything. What we need to do is to pay it what? Forward. Do good in the world. Accept people as they are. Accept people. One, two, three. Accept everyone. Second, believe. C, continue to grow. And D, ready? Do good in our world.